Hope you'll turn with me in a Bible to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 10. And we'll be looking together at verses 16 to 21. The fourth Gospel, John, chapter 10, verses 16 to 21. We're looking at how Jesus compares his people, the church, to a flock of sheep, to a flock of sheep. And we've seen so much great encouragement for all those who belong to the flock. We've seen that Jesus says, I came that they might have life, these sheep, this flock, They have life because of my coming. That's the very reason I came. Others who try to claim to give life don't. They've come to steal and to rob. I came that they might have life and have it to the fullest possible extent. We've seen he claims to be the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And because he is the good shepherd, he is personally invested in the well-being of his sheep, his flock, so much so that he lays down his life when the wolves come around, those who would seek to devour and to scatter God's flock. The good shepherd lays down his life. Could there be any greater encouragement? And the encouragement continues in these verses where he says, I have yet more sheep to bring in. But for us to feel the encouragement of these verses. To know the power of these verses, we need to understand that they are spoken in the midst of intense controversy and conflict. Jesus is not merely expounding these truths to his sheep. He is speaking them to those who have said he is no shepherd at all. Just prior to this, in John chapter 9, we see that Jesus heals a man who is born blind. And the religious authorities in Israel first say, Jesus didn't do that for you. Prove it. And then, of course, they're upset that he does it on the Sabbath. And they haul in the man and they say, tell us the truth. What really happened? And he says, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. And it is in the midst of that controversy of some people saying, you can't trust that man. He's a sinner. He's a blasphemer. He doesn't speak from God or for God. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. There's no other way in but through me. Intense, severe controversy. Not that unlike today, is it? In this day and time, there are dire predictions about the well-being of the church, of organized religion in general. And inside the church, there are people wringing their hands. What do we need to do to bring in more people? We're not going to have a future. What do we do? And outside the church... Some are simply dismissive of 
the church. It has no relevance for their lives. Might as well be a museum. Might as well just be retired. They have moved on, progressed beyond the church. But in more severe forms, there are those who are saying, see, finally, it's being exposed for what it is. It does more harm than good in the world. Better that it just cease to exist altogether. That kind of intense controversy is boiling over right now around us. And maybe to some extent inside of you. Can I really trust Jesus? Can I really have confidence that he is the good shepherd? Can I really believe that he has the power to give life and to protect me when the wolves come around? And maybe those wolves are the wolves of doubt. The wolves of bad news. The wolves of adversity. Can you really trust him? In the midst of that controversy, may this message be a summons to restore your confidence in the Lord Jesus and who He is and what He came to do for wandering lost sheep. And the basis of that confidence is not in the church. It's not in anything that I could come up with or any committee could come up with or anything that we could do on our own. The basis of our confidence. I pray the basis of your confidence and my confidence would be this truth. That we would trust the good shepherd to eventually find all of his sheep. To eventually find all of his sheep. No matter how lost, no matter how scattered, no matter how divided they may appear to be right now. You don't see it now. All you see is God's people in shambles, confused, beleaguered, weak. This is where we need to remember our confidence is not in ourselves. It's in the Good Shepherd that He can and He will in His own time eventually find all of His sheep. All 100 Not even one will be left out. Is that confidence in you? Is that confidence in this body of believers or not? Let's read what he says, beginning at verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So let's take a look at verse 16. 
he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen or this fold. What does this mean? Who are these other sheep? Well, we can understand them in both a narrow sense and a broad sense. In a narrow sense, most interpreters here are agreed that he has in mind the Gentiles, the people outside the people of Israel. And some confirmation of that interpretation comes in John chapter 12, verse 20, where we read, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, Sir, they said, We would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. And listen to what Jesus says upon knowing that there are some Greeks coming to worship. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And if you've been paying attention in the Gospel of John, you know that Jesus' glorification is the reason he came, and he is glorified when he is lifted up to be crucified and killed to take away the sins of his people. So there's something about the approach of these Greek, these, these Gentiles, that triggers Jesus to say, this is it, the hour has come, this is why I came. Let it be so now. So in a narrow sense, these other sheep are those beyond the confines of God's people Israel. But there's also a broader sense that we need to see here. And that broader sense is that these other sheep represent everyone who has not yet received the grace of God in Jesus. In other words, you and me. Everyone who is beyond the confines of this, this intense argument that Jesus is in the midst of, where he's speaking to the Pharisees, and he's got his 12 standing there. And the Pharisees may be saying, that's it? That little motley crew? Those are your sheep? <laughs> Some flock. We are the true shepherds of Israel. We are the ones with power. And Jesus says, don't let your eyes deceive you. I have other sheep. You don't see them now, but I do. I know them, and they will hear my voice, and they will follow me, and there will be one flock, and there will be one shepherd. These are the sheep, the other sheep. But notice something very important that he says about them, now that we know who they are. He says, I have other sheep. Not, I want other sheep. I have them already. They are already mine. Already mine. I have them now. They haven't even been born yet, and they're mine. How can he say this? Remember, we can trust the Good Shepherd to eventually find all of his sheep no matter how lost. And that's what we see here in verse 16. No matter how lost, he will find them because they're already his. From eternity, they were his, given to him by the Father. They're mine. I lay claim to them. 
Whether they're born yet or not, whether you can see them or not, no matter how lost they are, no matter how far they may have wandered, they're mine. I lay claim to them. Property of Jesus, property of the Good Shepherd is written all over them. Is, is your confidence in the Good Shepherd characterized by that truth? I have other sheep, they're mine already. We see this in some particular ways. For example, in Acts chapter 18, the Apostle Paul is in the city of Corinth. A handful of people have received Jesus as Lord. They've been converted, but only a handful. Most people in this city are outraged, and they want Paul out of town as soon as possible. And just when Paul is about to leave, he takes this as a sign, okay, maybe this isn't where I'm supposed to be. The Lord comes to him in the middle of the night. We read this in Acts chapter 18, verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you. And don't miss this. Because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Don't give up. Keep speaking. Don't be silent. Because I have many people. And you say, wait a second, he's only named a couple of people. There's the house of Titius Justus just before this. There's a guy named Crispus, but beyond that, we're not really told of anybody. Who are these people? No, they're not in the walls of the church yet, so to speak. We don't know their names yet, but Jesus does. No matter how lost they are, I have people. Keep speaking. Keep speaking. See, we, we think, all right, so the flock are the people in the church, right? The people who are in the pews. Oh, no. Oh, no. The flock includes all the people of God, the redeemed of all the ages. They're out there. They're on Leesville Road. They're all around us. I have other sheep, and I must bring them also. No matter how lost they are, it doesn't matter that you don't know who they are. It doesn't matter whether they're visible or invisible. I have a people, and I will claim them. They will be found. I have many people in Raleigh, North Carolina. Keep speaking. Keep speaking. Don't be silent. But this confidence that we can have, we should have in the Good Shepherd is often tested by times of adversity and trial. When we don't see these people, why is the flock so small? What are we supposed to do? Are we not doing enough to, to reach them? Do we need to change the music? Do we need to offer more programs? Do we need to have more fun? Are we too serious? Is Dane preaching too long? Is that the problem? What do we need to do? Do we need to tweak the message somehow? Why aren't they coming? Remember, this is what the prophet Elijah felt. We're told about this in 1 Kings chapter 19, but the Apostle Paul uses this example. 
to illustrate the current state of affairs in his own time, where he feels so lonely. Where are God's people? Why aren't they coming? He says, don't you know what Scripture says in the passage about Elijah? This is Romans chapter 11, verse 2. How he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me. I'm the only one. God, have you forsaken your people? Have you abandoned us? Have you given up on your church? And what was God's answer to him? The Lord speaking says, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And Paul says, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. A remnant chosen by grace, marked out by God to be his people. Let this be an encouragement to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're counting heads and you're wondering where the people are and you're wondering what we should do, this is no time to give up on the gospel. This is no time to give up on the good shepherd. Instead, this is a time to have our confidence restored in him, to recover a sense that he will eventually find all of his sheep, not some, not most, all. And hear this, there is a remnant chosen by God. Elijah doesn't see them, he doesn't know them, he doesn't know their names, but God says there is a remnant. There are 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to the idol, Baal, who have refused to give in. They're my people, they will stand firm, I will have them, they're already mine. So keep speaking, Elijah, keep speaking, Tabernacle Baptist Church. No matter how lost, he will have his people. They're already his. And then notice the second sentence. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. And he says, I must bring them also. I must bring them also. So hear this, we can trust the good shepherd to find all of his sheep no matter how lost they are and no matter how scattered they may appear to be. No matter how scattered, I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. They too will listen to my voice. It's not, I want to bring them in. I wish they would come in. No, I must, it is necessary, this must happen. This has been ordained by God. Who can possibly hinder God? Who can possibly stand in God's way? He will have his people. He will bring his people in. The good shepherd will, will find every single lost and scattered sheep. Every single one. But how does it happen? How does he bring them in? Jesus is about to be crucified. He's about to ascend back to the Father after having been raised from the dead forever. So how does he gather them in, these other sheep, if that includes you and me? By the ongoing work 
of the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, who is working even now in this room, who is enabling me to do what I'm doing right now. He finds the lost sheep in the name of Jesus. All for the glory of God the Father. He finds them. He is the one who enables them to listen to the voice of the good shepherd and to follow and to become one flock under one shepherd. The Holy Spirit empowering and equipping and sending God's people to the ends of the earth. And the confidence is this. That it doesn't matter where you go, whether you're in Raleigh, the jungles of the Amazon, Siberia, wherever you go, where there are people, if you herald forth the gospel of Jesus Christ, the sheep will hear. They will listen. They will follow. Not because of anything you're doing, but because God uses the proclamation of His Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. He uses His Word to call forth His sheep. Did you ever play the the pool game Marco Polo? In case you're not familiar with it, one person has to close their eyes. The rest of the people in the pool are trying to stay away from the person with the closed eyes. And the person with the closed eyes says, Marco! Marco! And the others have to respond, Polo! Polo! And of course the object of the game is to see if you can hear where is that Polo coming from? So that you can reach out and grab them or touch them. Right? Fun game. Well, in a similar way, if you herald forth and announce and proclaim the name of Jesus, the sheep will hear. They cannot do otherwise. No matter how scattered they are across the globe, they will hear, they will respond in faith. If you say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, some will come. Now, it may feel like you're like John the Baptist, a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. And you may feel like you're crying out in the middle of nowhere and no one is answering. But keep at it. He will eventually find all of his lost and scattered sheep. They cannot do otherwise. Just prior to this, in John chapter 6, Verse 37, Jesus says, All those the Father gives me will come to me. John 6, 37, All those the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I will never drive away. Those whom the Father has marked out to be his people, they will come. And later, when some consider his teaching to be too hard, and they leave. He says this in verse 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. 
No one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And we're told from this time, many disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. What? We don't get any credit for choosing the right teacher? And Jesus says to the twelve, don't you want to leave too? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. The sheep cannot do otherwise. Enabled by the Father. Born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. They cannot do otherwise than to follow the Lord Jesus. Now someone raises some objections at this point. Someone says, okay, wait a second. What if I don't want to believe? What if I don't want to be a Christian? Do I have no choice in the matter? Consider this verse from Acts chapter 13. The Apostle Paul is preaching, and we're told in verse 48 of Acts 13, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. They received the word, and we're told that it's because God, the Holy Spirit, had already been at work, already appointing them for eternal life, and they believed. And so what you need to know is, no, God doesn't force you to become a Christian, but he doesn't have to. By the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, giving you a new nature, enabling you to be born again. You are drawn. It is effective. It will happen. You are drawn. You cannot help but do otherwise. He doesn't have to ask for your consent, but he gets your consent. And you want him. You say, Jesus is my Savior, and I can't take any credit for this. This is all of grace. All of grace, not on the basis of works or anything I've done. Sheer mercy and grace. Someone else says, well, okay, I mean, what's the point of preaching? I mean, if God's already going to have his people, he's going to find those who are lost, no matter how scattered they are. I mean, why don't we just sit back and let it happen? No, no, no. No, no, no. I must bring them in. How does he bring them in? By equipping and empowering his people. As he says to Peter at the very end of this gospel, Peter, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love Jesus, go find his sheep. With the confidence, to shift the metaphor, that if you go fishing out there, you will catch some. No, you won't catch all of them, but you will catch them. I promise you. If you put your line in that water, some will respond. I have people there. Do it. Cast your net on that side of the boat. Trust me. Listen. And they will respond. They will come. I will have my sheep. Have confidence in the great shepherd, the good shepherd. Believe in him. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in a pastor. Don't trust in the church. Don't trust in your plans. Don't trust in your abilities. Trust in him. He will eventually find all of his lost sheep. And for what purpose? No matter how lost they are, no matter how scattered across the globe they may be, he will find them. And we're told at the end of verse 16, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. There shall be one flock and one shepherd. And this shows us 
that he will eventually find his sheep no matter how divided they presently are. No matter how divided they presently are. Because he says, there shall be, not I want them to be one, I hope they'll be one. If everything goes according to plan, then this is what should happen if I get the formula right. No, there shall be one flock, one shepherd. This is one that's really hard for us to believe, though, isn't it? I mean, just here within a radius, five-mile radius of this church, you've got not only Baptist churches, you have Methodist churches and Presbyterian churches and Episcopal churches and Catholic churches and so on and so forth. So much for this one flock. And this is what the, the world uses to disparage the church. How could that possibly be true when there's so much division in your midst? You say that Jesus came to redeem for himself a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And yet look at the visible church. It's divided. Always has been. And yet we're told that it is the desire of Jesus for his people to be one. John chapter 17. Jesus' great high priestly prayer. He says this. I have given them, that is his people, I have given them the glory. John 17 verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. So what are we to do about this? Well, some will respond to say, see, this is why we just need one church. And you may have heard the word ecumenical. We just need to have one church. We need to draw them all together. And then everybody will know, see, this is, this is what Jesus wants. Be careful. Because while, yes, Jesus wants his people to be unified, he came so that they shall be one flock under one shepherd. Remember, it is under one shepherd. And if we do not agree on who the shepherd is, then do we really have unity? Can people who disagree on the fundamental nature of who Jesus is, when some say he's merely a moral teacher, he came to give us great principles for social change or moral change. And you've got others who say, no, he's the son of God, the eternal son of God. He came to shed his blood to purchase for himself a people for the glory of the Father. These are not reconcilable. When you've got some people who say the Bible is just full of errors, it's a human book. Yeah, we can derive some principles here and there, but you can't take it at face value. And you've got others who are saying, no, it's totally trustworthy. It's the word of God. And this is how we come to know Jesus. This is how we come to hear the voice of the shepherd. Those things cannot be reconciled. And so there is a false unity that we need to watch out for. We cannot compromise on Jesus. We cannot compromise on the truth of the gospel. That would be sin. But are God's people only limited to Baptists? Of course not. But he has people in every denomination, every denomination, I believe he has a people who believe the gospel. 
They may be small in number. We may not know them. But he will have a people. And there is a spiritual unity that we share with him. No, we may not be able to go to the same church because we are divided over this doctrine. But it is good and it is right for God's people in all denominations to recognize that the church is bigger than us, right? We need to have the humility to acknowledge that. No, we may not baptize in the exact same way, but if we believe the truth of the gospel, if we believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved, if we believe that the word of God is totally true and trustworthy, well then, we can have a true spiritual unity. We should strive to work together, but how can we cooperate in sending missionaries overseas when we don't even agree on what we should be saying to the people over there? Or how can we cooperate when some are saying maybe we shouldn't even do that. Maybe that's just a version of colonialism or something. We're just trying to impose our beliefs on them. Maybe we shouldn't even be sending missionaries other than doing some social work. No, no. God has people out there. And to the extent that we agree on the gospel, we agree on the truthfulness of God's word, we agree that Jesus is the only way, we can and we should cooperate Because we have confidence in the Good Shepherd. And we have confidence that He will eventually find His lost sheep. No matter how lost, no matter how scattered, no matter how divided. But the real grounds for our confidence comes in what He says in verse 17 The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The truth that is glaring in these verses is that he did not lay down his life in vain. He did not die in vain. If we deny the truth that he won't eventually find and claim all of his sheep. Well, then we're saying he died in vain. He died for no purpose. But he says, I will make one flock under one shepherd because I've laid down my life for this very reason. This is why I came. And this is where we have to be very clear that Jesus is not just a martyr. Some people would have us believe that Jesus is a martyr. He, he died for a great cause, and we can learn from his example. It's an example of love, and this is what happens when you're prophetic and speak the truth. That's true in a limited extent, but we can't stop there. Because Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord willingly for sinners. And this is why the Father loves me. Now, it's not to say that the Father didn't love the Son or doesn't love the Son before this, but he's saying the Father loves me and shows his love for me in that I am completely obedient to his sovereign and eternal plan. Think of Jesus' baptism. This is my Son, with him I am well pleased. He is the one who perfectly fulfills my will. Look at him. 
Don't look inside yourself. Don't look at some other leader. Don't put your trust in anyone else. Look at Him. He's the one. He's the answer. He's your hope. And He is the only one who has the power to lay down His life for the sheep. No matter how lost they are, no matter what they've done, no matter how far they have wandered from the fold of God, no matter how much they have said, God, I don't need you, no matter how much they've tried to live without God, no matter how much they've relied on their own plans and their own willpower, no matter how much they've followed the desires of their flesh, He died for His sheep and He will have His sheep. They will hear His voice. And this is all according to the Father's plan. And not only does He lay it down, He does it in order that He might take it up again to be resurrected so that now He can hold forth life Eternal life, abundant life, life to the fullest possible extent to you and to me so that he can authorize me from this pulpit to say, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, not by your own merit, but because that is the Holy Spirit enabling you to confess that. No one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. And so it leaves us with some alternatives. You may say, well, how can anybody reject this? Well, look. Look at what happens. Some say he's possessed by a demon. He's raving mad. He's crazy. No human being should claim that for himself. No, let's move on. Move on. We're done with him. And of course, this is how many approach the church. It's irrelevant, unnecessary, We can do better. But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They're convinced by what he's done. They've seen it with their own eyes. And I wonder today if there is anyone who can testify to an even greater miracle than opening the eyes of the blind. And that is the miracle of opening the spiritual eyes of the spiritually dead, which is you and me, apart from the intervention of God. An even greater miracle is opening and unstopping the ears of the dead so that they hear, they awaken, they hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. And they know He came for them. He died for them. He bled for them. He bought their redemption by laying down His life for them. When the wolves were surrounding them, when they were tempted to trust in the hired hand, they were tempted to put their trust in anyone else but the Good Shepherd. He died for them. When they were lost, when they were scattered, when they were divided, He came for them. Do you hear him speaking to you today? Through his word. Do you hear the good shepherd? And you realize, maybe you thought you were a sheep when you came in here, but you realize you hear his word in a new way, in a more compelling way, in a more persuasive way, and you realize you can't do otherwise but follow him, come what may. You cannot but do otherwise than to give your life to him. And trust Him. 
to do for you what you could never do for yourself. Do you hear the shepherd today? I pray that you would because if you hear the voice of the shepherd, there is rejoicing in heaven right now in this moment. Rejoicing, singing. Even if there's only one sinner who repents. Don't be deceived by numbers. Don't be deceived by appearances. This is a good shepherd who did not die in vain, who did not come in vain. He will have his sheep. He will have his people. Are you among them? Do you hear his voice? I pray that you would as we go to him in prayer. Dear Lord, we praise you and we thank you from the depths of our hearts that you did not wait for us to find you. You found us. And I pray, Lord, that you would find your sheep in the midst of this congregation. That anyone, no matter what they've done, no matter what they haven't done, no matter how far they may have wandered, no matter how lost they may be, Lord, I pray that they would know they can be found by your grace. May this be the day of salvation. And Lord, for those who may have wandered into another corner of the flock, we're not really sure where we are, but we know we're not where we should be. Lord, bring us home. May we hear anew the voice of our good shepherd. And may we obey. May we follow. May we surrender and yield to him. And I pray, Lord, that you would restore our confidence in you. Restore our confidence in your power. Restore our confidence in what you have promised to do in and through your people, the church. Lord, keep us strong in this confidence, come what may. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.